From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. No combination of medications available today can replicate the benefits associated with consistent physical activity. That's why the American College of Sports Medicine developed an initiative called Exercise is Medicine. And here in the HealthLink on Air studio to talk about that initiative is exercise physiologist Carol Sames from Upstate Medical University. She's the director of the Vitality Fitness Program and an associate professor of physical therapy education. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Amber. So can you explain the major goals of this Exercises Medicine initiative? Absolutely. So just to give some background, it started in 2007 from the American College of Sports Medicine, along with the uh, American Medical Association. And the initial purpose was to really spread the news of the scientific benefits of regular activity. And um, so... That was the initial purpose. And there's kind of three major principles that we need to recognize that physical activity is really crucial to health and wellness, and it should be monitored as a vital sign, just like we would take heart rate or blood pressure, um, height and weight, um, along with other traditional vital signs. The other large principle was that physical activity is is powerful in terms of a modality and that it can be used for primary prevention and secondary prevention. And that's really key because primary prevention means that it helps to reduce the risk for the development of, and specifically cardiovascular disease, because that is the number one killer of Americans. But then also secondary prevention is say I already have cardiovascular disease, if I start a physical activity program, it can reduce my risk of dying from cardiovascular disease. And that is really powerful because there are no medications out there um, that, that have that type of power. So, And it seems like if there were, there would be huge headlines about it. Absolutely. Right? Well, and, and whoever would design such a pill uh, would be quite wealthy, right. and we probably would all be taking it. Um, and then the third, and I think this is also really important, is that um, that's success for exercises medicine is going to require not just healthcare professionals, but individuals themselves um, and um uh, community members so that there is a, a, a responsibility also on communities to offer um, more green space, more uh, areas that uh, people can engage in wellness and activity so that it's not just this top down, my physician or my physician assistant is telling me to, but that we have this kind of community um, that involves everyone. Okay. All right. Well, the, uh, the guidelines, What? Um, let's talk a little bit about the exercise guidelines. Okay. How much exercise or activity okay. is enough? So generally, it's 150 minutes a week of moderate activity. Um, and moderate is, is the ability to carry on a conversation. Uh, and that can be done um, in smaller increments, but 150 minutes total or 75 minutes of more vigorous, more intense activity per week. Um, we do know that there's also a dose response so that if I'm able to achieve 300 minutes a week of moderate uh, intensity activity, that has additional health benefits. So again, we're seeing a dose effect with exercise. And then the same with uh, vigorous, if we can get up to 150 minutes a week. So at least 150 and more if you can. Right. Okay. And then from a strength training perspective, 
two uh, sessions of strength training per week. We need muscle to be strong and to move. And so two sessions a week. And for older adults, there should be an inclusion of balance type activities. Okay, that makes sense. And these are things um, that don't require necessarily a, a gym membership. These are things you can do sort of on your own. Absolutely correct. You can do body weight activity that is strength training. I can walk. Um, you know, granted, sometimes it's challenging in weather to walk outside. I can walk around my house or my apartment. Um, if I'm able, I can do stairs if I have them. So, um, you know, a little creativity can go a very long way. And what about for people with um, a chronic illness or a disability? Um, is this all, does, does this apply to them as well? Absolutely. And certainly within any limitations they would have, but movement and activity is for everyone because the way we were put together with our bodies, we need to move. So the guidelines are the same. Um, what has been also happening is we know that there's been an increase in sedentary behaviors, um, in the U S and, um, so independent of physical activity, sedentary behavior is a risk factor for cardiovascular cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, obesity, certain types of cancer. And so we kind of have a two-prong approach, A, to get people moving and not sitting. Um, So it's really important uh, even to just get up for a few minutes every half an hour. That activity counts. So sedentary lifestyle sort of, is that the traditional couch potato where you really just don't do much more than watch TV or screen time kinds of things? Or I come to work and I sit in front of a computer for eight hours. So, you know, I get up, I do my 30 minute walk or whatever activity, and then I go to work and I sit. Um, And so the guidelines are really strong trying to get people to get up for just a minute or two every hour, if that's possible, to not sit for prolonged periods of time. Because there is some preliminary research that suggests that that negates that walk that I did in the morning. Do you know how many uh, or what percent of the population is following this? It depends on the research study, but somewhere between 25 to 41% of the adult population are achieving the guidelines. And if I have a disability, that number drops. So again, depending on the population looked at, you can see anywhere from 10 to 26%. Um, And the, the thing that's sad is individuals that are already experiencing disability, maybe functional limitations, in some ways they need to be more active because they're on that precipice of um, uh, possibly getting to the point where they really cannot walk independently. And and once that occurs, once you know we see individuals that are already in a wheelchair, it is very difficult um, you know, to kind of get them up and moving again. So I would uh, propose that individuals that are already experiencing disability, it's even more important to be active. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with exercise physiologist Carol Sames from Upstate Medical University uh, about how exercise is medicine. So what are some of the 
the suggestions that you've come across for implanting this exercises medicine philosophy into the healthcare system? So one, we have to educate healthcare providers. Okay. <laughs> and there is a lot of information on the exercises medicine website for healthcare providers to, to be seen as like the gateway, um, to be seen as, as an expert. Whereas if, if I'm working with individuals and I, and I start to pro- provide exercise or activity education to say, listen, you know, what are you doing? Are you aware of the benefits of, of being active? And I think it's important for people to realize it's not just one or two benefits that you get with physical activity. You know, there's, there's a hundred at least benefits that have pretty strong scientific basis. And so I may go into my physician saying I want to lose weight, but I also get all these other benefits along with that if I am engaged in regular activity. And so for healthcare providers to really be leading the charge, um, it may be difficult, you know, in a single physician visit, but physical therapists, for instance, who may see uh, patients over a long period of time, um, they, they're seeing individuals two, three times a week. Sure. They they are gatekeepers there to continue to support and provide um, you know, an example and also uh, a program for individuals. Exercise professionals also. Um, you know, respiratory therapists, anybody who has contact with individuals. And then also we need community leaders um, from the, the standpoint of trying to, to build communities that have these options, to have areas, so malls that are open early for individuals for to go to and okay. walk. Absolutely, especially here in central New York. Sure. Does it get to the point where um, you suggest to a physician that they write a prescription? They actually take out and write a prescription for activity? Absolutely. Um, Following the guidelines and also maybe a referral to an exercise specialist or a physical therapist if, you know, there's a concern that the person might need a little bit more initial guidance in in kind of setting up a, a program. But that's what it's called, an exercise prescription. And it has to be individualized based on that person with the ultimate goal of achieving the guidelines. Um, and that goal may take six months, it may take a year, but that is you know, the goal is to achieve the guidelines. Well, I think I read where this effort is not just national, but international. Um, Are you aware of any countries where like this is working really well, where the community has, you know, become more um, accepting of activity and set up programs for? Yes. So Sweden and Denmark um, have done a really good job. Now, uh, they also had uh, before this initiative started, they did have better um, recreational facilities and more of a wellness um, perspective in healthcare. But they have really embraced um, the exercises medicine concept, and it's working really well in their countries. So a good model. Okay. Yes. Well, uh, I want to ask you about the research that proves that medis- that there's medical benefit of uh-huh. exercise. Is there really research out there that proves it? Uh, Very strong. So you have studies that have been going on for a long period of time. For instance, the Framingham study started in 1950 and um, started with individuals that were 18 to 65 years old living in Framingham, Massachusetts. So they followed these individuals. Obviously, the older individuals in that initial crew have have passed away, but they followed them as they aged and they basically are looking at, at activity and, you know, cause of death and development of cardiovascular disease and diabetes, and you're following this 
over time. So these types of observational studies, you're looking at 10,000, 20,000 people, the Harvard Men's Study. There are all types of these longitudinal studies following people over a long period of time and seeing you know, what, what is developing over time and what is cause of death. And so the research is very strong. Cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, metabolic syndrome, hypertension, um, that is very, very strong. And now we initially just saw breast and colon cancer, but now there's other um, cancers that have come out. One of the latest um, updates is uh, cognition and Alzheimer's disease, dementia, um, that exercise, physical activity can be protective in the development of um, cognitive wow. deficits. So, wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, you also mentioned earlier about how exercise is important for everyone, but particularly people who are becoming less able to, to move on their own, it maybe becomes even more important. Can it be the difference between someone being able to live independently and and not? Oh, absolutely. Because if you just think about the activities of daily living, you, you need a certain amount of strength um, to be able to accomplish those. And, you know, if you're living in an older home in the city of Syracuse, chances are you have stairs. And those stairs have to be negotiated. You may not have a bathroom on the first floor. Um, you know, laundry may be in the basement. Um, so if you just think about getting up and out of a chair, going up and down stairs, that requires a lot of strength. And so absolutely being as functional as possible impacts my ability to be mobile and impacts my ability to live safely independently so the use it or lose it sort of thing uh certainly with muscles that's the way it works well in the little bit of time we have left can you tell us what you've seen in the vitality fitness program because um, you work with people who maybe are deconditioned or frail and how do you go about convincing them of the importance of building muscle strength and you know, getting to the 150 minutes. Right. Well, certainly by the time they come to us, they've all most likely already have decided they want to be active because they're already coming to us. Mm -hmm. But um, what we do is we test them when they start. And then every six months we test again so that they can start to see these little wins. You know, if you talk about maintaining adherence to a new program, you want to see improvement. And so we have their exercise logs. And so if in three months they're like, I don't know if I'm doing any better, we go back and say, well, when you started, you were walking for four minutes at this speed on the treadmill. And then they look and say, wow, I'm at 15 minutes. I've noticed in the spring I can do gardening. I can do things that I really couldn't do before. Going up the stairs is easier. Getting out of a chair is easier. I really feel better. And because it's physiology, you know, after eight weeks, if you're consistent with regular activity, you're going to notice changes. You're going to notice less fatigue. You're going to notice, you know, more endurance. You're going to notice strength because it's physiology. It's, it's not some fad you're trying to be sold. It's the body, and that's the way the body works. And that's got to be very motivating. Absolutely. To keep, to keep at it. And so once you start to see those benefits, you want to continue. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking about this with me. I appreciate it. My guest has been Dr. Carol Sames from Upstate Medical University's Vitality Fitness Program and the Physical Therapy Education Program. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.